0: Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia. For those of you that are new, I just briefly want to mention that I am here to share what God would be saying to you as an individual and to the body of Christ around the world. As it says in the book of Revelation, if any man has an ear to hear, let him hear what this Spirit says unto the churches. May you have a heart that is open, that is receptive to receive the reality of what God would be saying at this particular moment in your life. And may the body of Christ also be open to hearing what the Spirit would be saying. We are to seek to minister as the oracles of God, as it declares in 1 Peter chapter 4, I think around verse 11 or 12. And that is what I will seek to do, is to speak out of the spirit of prophecy. And so I'm just going to make you aware that I cast lots on the scripture where there's an equal chance each day that I meditate on the word of God for any particular chapter in the whole of the bible and i trust god in that way to lead me in his word although i am led sometimes in other ways by the spirit of god but god certainly uses the casting of lots and that is very clear from the fact that the church before the time of christ in the nation of israel used the casting of lots and also the church also in the time of christ and up through the ages through the Moravian revival and so on used the casting of lots. So it's been a while since I've shared from the Word of God and that's because I am trying to get my book done and it's because I'm really working hard on the internet in these days. I'm always spending the same amount of time in the Word but often instead of wanting to preach I'm wanting to finish the book that I'm doing which is a bit much to share about right now except to say that it is going to be a, including a very detailed in-depth outline on bringing forth in these last days the Bride of Christ and local assemblies around the world that will not limit God by becoming denominational that will allow the fullness of the headship of Christ to inhabit the body so that we can conquer the communities we're in, the nation that we live in, by bringing his presence and glory down. I will just continue now with the various passages. The last time I uploaded a message, which was right after I preached, was on January the 19th, and today is February the 13th. So it's almost a month. So I want to touch on some of the various passages I have received through this past month, but I will start by going to Second Samuel chapter 23, which I received just recently on Saturday, today being Monday, that's Saturday, February the 11th. And I will read parts of this passage of Scripture and then share from it. And then after that I want to touch on some of the things I received in this last month. 2 Samuel chapter 23 Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, Ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning, When the sun riseth, Even a morning without clouds, As the tender grass springing out of the earth, By clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation, and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them, as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron, and the staff of a spear and they shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the tachamonite that sat in the seat chief among the captains. The same was Adino, the Ezanite. He lift up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dudu, the Aholite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. And he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to the spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Harite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of litos. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines. And the Lord brought a great victory. And three of the 30 chief went down. And came to David in the harvest time. Unto the cave Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines. Pitched in the valley of Rephaim, And David was then in an hold. And the garrison of the Philistines. Was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said. Oh that one would give me drink. Of the water of the well of Bethlehem. Which is by the gate. And the three mighty men. brake through the hosts of the Philistines. And drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the man that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And I will not continue with the other men of valor, And the mighty deeds that they did in this chapter. I just want to first of all. Read the brief notes I made. Starting with the first section which is 1 to 7. God calls us to rule. And that is in God's authority. Which is found only in abiding in God. Which is only possible by being in the fear of God. Such will shine with the light and the glory of God like the light of the sun shining on the wet grass after it has rained. The wicked are so wicked that one cannot even talk or negotiate with them because they are violent, so that one has to be fully armed to even come near them. Now, this in this first section, I just want to touch on the importance of Of us ruling in the fear of God. This chapter is about people that entered into the full authority of God in their lives and executed it. An authority that defies all those things that are in the realm of possibility and goes far beyond the realm of possibility. The mighty deeds that these men did One man slaying 800 with a spear and so on. In the natural is just not possible. What releases the authority of God in our lives? The first is revealed in the first part of this chapter. And the secret is in the fear of God. Where in verse 3, He says clearly that he's speaking by the Spirit of God. And the first thing that he says by the Spirit of God, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just ruling in the fear of God. The authority of God will never be released for us to rule out of the authority of God in our lives in this world. Unless we first learn the secret of abiding in God, which is learning the secret of the fear of God. I believe it is Isaiah 13, if I am not mistaken, or is it 15, 13, where the Word of God says, concerning the Messiah, the fear of the Lord is His treasure. Why is the fear of the Lord the treasure of even in the Godhead, abiding in one another. And let me make it clear. I am not inferring by this that there are three separate gods. There is only one God, as it says in the word of God, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And I'm just digressing a bit off of this topic to talk about the secret of abiding in the trinity or the triunity of God. First let me just make it clear that God could never be almighty if he could not be in personage in three places at the same three dimensions at the same time. The three ultimate aspects or dimensions of existence are beyond time and space in time and space, and filling all space. And the understanding of the word Father, in the original meaning, is originator. And one, of course, has in that understanding, the understanding of one that has experience over time. And God, as the Father, governs beyond the time and space realm. He is the originator of all things. And he governs, seeing the end from the beginning. And every time, or should say in many instances, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul makes it clear and always talks about God the Father in context of God the Father being beyond the time and space realm and seeing the end from the beginning. The Son, the word Son has obviously the meaning in it and the understanding in it, of expression, the exact expression of the Father. And the Son is the full expression of God the Father into the time and space realm, ruling in personage in the time and space realm or in creation. And of course, the understanding of the Holy Spirit is the Father and the Son in omnipresence, in a third personage, ruling, filling all space in all dimensions of existence. Oh, I could talk for a long time on these things. There's uh, Ronald Pearson, which is an expert physicist and also an expert in engineering and really has a superior advantage over the typical people that are graduates in physics with their various degrees because of his experience with engineering he's not even a believer and he discusses in a video how he believed as an evolution believes as an evolutionist that god evolved from a dimension way beyond the physical dimension because as they know now from physics matter is just a little teeny tip of the iceberg of what is out there and so he gives his understanding of how the whole universe from the laws of physics that he has studied, all of the various theories come together with what he has brought together with his understanding of engineering applied to the various laws and theories of physics. And only his particular understanding brings all of these various theories together including the God particle that was discovered by the Hadron Collider in 2013 which they now know exists and is what is behind all of matter, giving it mass, and so on. It's called the God particle for a reason. It says in the Word of God that by God, all things, by Jesus Christ, all things consist and exist in Colossians. And so his understanding has brought him to the conclusion that there is something pervading all things, including where there's total nothingness, like outer space, which is like the neurons of a brain that is very refined and very small and exists and is composed of an element that is so, for lack of a better word, pure that there is no such a thing as... uh, distance, because it can be everywhere at the same time. It can send information everywhere at the same time, not at the speed of light, but instantly, so that there is no distance. And so you have this intelligence that he says is like the neurons of a brain, very refined, attached to every particle of existence. course the implications of that is that God can do what he so pleases in his creative power at any moment he can appear in personage in omnipresence at a thousand places at the same time giving a vision to different people of himself that is totally real that is totally personal because there is no issue with time and space there is no end or beginning there is no need for him to be here and then next here, because there is all the time in the future needed. In fact, there is no end of the future, even as there is no end of the past. And and therefore time that is within this greater dimension, is, time is within existence, which has no beginning. And I'm not going to go into that beyond this, but to say this, so you have God the Father, and if God was not in personage beyond time and space, he could not rule beyond time and space or in or, or see the time and space realm, the end from the beginning. And if God could not be in personage in in the time and space realm, in the creation realm, at the simultaneously as he is also beyond time and space, then he would not be able to rule in the time and space realm and would be less than God. And if God could not be in personage in an omnipresence, in the Father and the Son, everywhere at the same time. He would also be less than ultimate as God. And so we have the word Elohim, which means the Almighty's One, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this triunity, there is the secret of the unity that they have one with another. One being, one nature in three personages necessary to be in governance over the ultimate aspects of existence which is beyond time and space as the Father, in time and space as the Son, and filling all space as the Holy Spirit which also is in personage and operates in creative power in personage in omnipresence. Throughout the universe Being able to perform as he pleases, either in raising the dead or bringing things, creating or whatever, bringing forth things that have not existed before. But the secret of this abiding is in the fear of God. So what is the fear of God? It certainly involves reverence. It certainly involves awareness of our life source and that apart from that, we are really nothing, even less than nothing, in the sense that God can cause us to experience an existence that would be worse than nothingness, which would be hell. But he never does anything that isn't deserved, that isn't righteous. God is good and in him there is no darkness at all. But the, the, the secret in the fear of God is the right perception of who God is. It's not a mind thing. It is a thing of the heart. It is a thing of the heart where from our heart we choose to recognize God in that quality of being that only possibly can be ultimately trustworthy and therefore worthy of all trust. And what is that quality of being? That can be only ultimately trustworthy and worthy of all trust. It is love, but what is this love? Well, agape love can be defined as a love that always chooses the highest, lasting good over any more immediate desire for gratification. Any choice for more um, for a more immediate gratification over what is a more lasting. Fulfillment implies that in that choice there would be corruption. God's love is perfect. It is ultimate. It is perfect in perfection and always chooses the highest lasting good. In fact, his love is so pure and has such an integrity of impurity that it is as a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest word, thought, deed, or action that would be less than choosing the highest lasting good. God's love, in its integrity, is the defensive aspect of his love, which is his holiness. His love is so pure that it will not condone what is contrary to love. For all that is contrary to the ultimate perfection of his love has corruption in it. And God is the antithesis of corruption. He is anti-corruption in his being. Why, even the children of Israel could not even look at the Lord at particular points at Mount Sinai, lest he broke forth and devoured them, because he cannot tolerate corruption. His hate is absolute against corruption. But his love is so great. And it is from this foundation, which is the holiness of God, that springs forth the other aspect of God's love. For love would not be ultimate in its perfection if it could not also from that foundation that is formed by the integrity of his love spring forth in creativity that is without corruption and that is ultimately manifested and that he can assure to creation destiny because he can assure to those that receive his mercy in re, true repentance, forgiveness. And that is only possible, and I could go into this for a long time, but I'm not here to get off on that. This is kind of getting off a bit from what I'm speaking on. But it is important in understanding the, the fear of God. That we understand first the holiness of God, and that is from the holiness of God that springs forth the mercy of God. And that is only possible, and that God has within his being such an ultimate perfection of love that he could become a perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins, for our rebellion, for our wrong choices. And that's only possible if he could come into this world and live in a human body and be tempted as we are and yet. Because of this deep fear of God within him, which is not a negative thing, but a reciprocative thing, which I will share. He maintained his oneness with the Father. It was never broken by the presumption of being drawn off and succumbing to sin. He was tempted, the word of God says in all points, we are, and yet without sin. Only a perfect sacrifice that fully represents a human being in body, soul, and spirit could possibly be a a sacrifice that could atone and that could cleanse the soul and the spirit and the body from sin and grant full forgiveness. And we know that's not within man to do. Even in the Old Testament, it says, even if I gave my body and the fruit of my children as a ransom, it would not atone for the sin of my soul. I don't know exactly where that passage is. It was very clear from the very beginning that people recognized that God was the source of forgiveness, even when they sacrificed the the innocent lamb and other animals that were instituted by God. They were a representation of God's mercy. And they allowed for that to impact their hearts. As the act of killing an innocent lamb because we sinned would have quite an impact far more than even taking the communion. And it would be also an act of verifying and confirming our repentance to receive the forgiveness that finds its source in God. But that forgiveness finds its source in God because God has such a, a love that is so great that he could condescend and come down to this world and suffer more than you, a mere creature, and humble himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could have your sins absorbed upon him so that you could be forgiven and cleansed and reconciled to God. God's love is so pure that it is holy and it is so full of grace out of that purity that he could become a perfect atoning sacrifice for you. In fact, it says in the word of God that the Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, it was a reality, not just a capacity in God, but a reality in God as if he had already in Jesus Christ condescended to this world and had become an atoning sacrifice on the cross. That quality of being was already a reality in God from eternity past, before this world was created. Beyond the time and space realm where the Father dwells, this was all known well before. In fact, one of the passages that I received recently was on Jeremiah being called by God. And God says there that I knew you before you were even formed in the world. Because God is the father. And of course, the son is in the father as well. God, Elohim, knows the end from the beginning. Even every single little choice. And where every single little particle is going to be. He knows without the violation of free will. He knows our free choices before we choose. He knows even those like Jeremiah before they were born, he knew them. And it was a reality in his being, these two things, that he is totally holy, without corruption, and totally filled with mercy and grace to those who will receive it in true repentance that had not directly gone against the provision of his grace and his goodness like some of the angels did. And basically we're committing doing that blasphemy against the spirit, the direct flow of the spirit of God. The fear of God is a choice To recognize the only quality that could possibly be ultimately trustworthy. That could possibly be described as ultimately trustworthy by anyone. And what I have just described to you is that quality of being that that alone can be ultimately trustworthy. And alone is worthy of trust. And alone is worthy of praise. And it is in the fear of God that we first choose to recognize that God is holy that he is therefore fully trustworthy in his judgments but what happens is to many of us we see the suffering around us and the suffering in our own lives because of the consequences of our wrong choices and we become better at God and we blame God for being the source of evil when He is actually the opposite. He is the source of ultimate good that is ever expanding and ever enlarging in its creative activity, forever without end. The fear of God is a recognition that we deserve. The judgment of God, and that all the suffering that we see around us is because of rebellion against the holiness of God. When we recognize that, when we choose to come to the place where we recognize that, then we cannot become anything but totally honest and totally humbled by that honesty and that humility then drives us again back to the place of total transparency and honesty before God where we can only do one thing. We have only one other place to look. We recognize that if God is that holy, he must be ultimately good and that he must therefore be a God that is so great, whose goodness is so great that he is provided. A way for us to have destiny and meaning if we simply cry out to him and ask for mercy and forgiveness. and then we receive his forgiveness. We receive His grace. It is only out of the genuine fear of God that there can be a genuine faith in God and a genuine birthing of genuine faith, which means that we become brought forth anew by the Spirit or born again by the Spirit. But the secret is in the fear of God. But here's the thing I want to point out, particularly in this passage of Scripture. When we do, from the heart, recognize God in his holiness, we also are recognizing God in the greatness of his mercy and his grace or his love towards us. This is what breaks the hardness of a heart that is... Cut off from God and in rebellion against God, and deceived to have one's own idolatrous image of God that would justify an independent life that is in defiance of the holiness of God. It is coming to the place like a negative and positive, recognizing in ourselves negatively. In the light of God's holiness that we deserve the judgment of God and are worthy of his judgment because God in his holiness holds only that quality that can possibly be whole without corruption. And in what is without corruption there is not only wholeness but there is ultimate beauty and ultimate creativity that can go on forever in ever greater enlargement of creativity without end. But what we are doing basically in our heart is we're recognizing that we need the mercy of God. So negatively, there is that recognition, so to speak, in our heart out of viewing that negative aspect, which is actually a very great positive, which is the holiness of God. God can be illustrated as that ultimate negative and positive, the negative being. The holiness of God, which is symbolized in the negative symbol in arithmetic and in electricity, which is a symbol of foundation and a symbol of cutting off all corruption. And out of that, we then are cornered to cry out to God in recognition that his goodness provides mercy in his perfect atoning sacrifice that he could have such a quality of being that he has the capacity not only the capacity the reality to be able to forgive us without going against the integrity of his love that requires judgment which can only bring one conclusion and that is that God alone could possibly be the only one That is the source of forgiveness because he is the only one that could possibly be a perfect atoning sacrifice. That is why John, before Christ died on the cross, called him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we come to the place where we are cornered to see the emptiness of our lives and the the, the deception of our lives and where it is leading then we, re- we are cornered to the place of loathing all of the deception of those around us and the emptiness of those around us and the emptiness of our own lives. we are cornered to the place of the recognition of that ultimate quality that can only be trustworthy which is God's love that is so holy it will not tolerate sin, but so great in mercy that you can be forgiven when you call from the depths of your being and cry out and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So there is the positive aspect of recognition in us of the love of God that springs out of the recognition, first of all, of the holiness of God that births the recognition of the positive, which is the mercy and grace of God, which is the ultimate manifestation of God's love. There's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 1 that says we are accepted in the beloved. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein we are accepted in the beloved. You know when you really see the greatness of God's grace to you out of the holiness of God. There is such a breaking of that hardness. It's like the shells around an atom that, form, that are formed by the electrons spinning around the atom really fast. The nucleus of the atom really fast. The result of that negative and positive is that that shell is broken and there's the flow of power and of life. This is what is involved in the fear of God. It is the recognition of who God is in reality. Choosing to recognize from our heart who he is in reality. So that we reciprocate the being of God into us. By receiving from a true turning of our heart. A true cry from the depths of our heart. His atoning provision of mercy and grace. That can forgive us and cleanse us from sin. And it is an ongoing relationship like this that is also in the triunity of God where the Son beholds the glory and the holiness and the beauty that comes out of the holiness of the Father. The creativity that comes out of the holiness of the Father and he responds in thankfulness. He says, Father, yes, I love you so much that I want to be enlarged in my love for you to enter into greater realms of loving you. Yes, I would will go and I will condescend and I will experience suffering so that I can bring to you a corporate bride. I will become atoning sacrifice so that I can bring to you a, a corporate bride to enlarge you and to experience enlargement in you of this love. And the Father says, Likewise to the Son, I see in you the beauty of such holiness and of such purity, that I am willing to suffer the pain of letting you experience judgment and forsaking by me in judgment, though you will always trust me and be one with me in faith. Through it, I will, so that you can experience the enlargement of a bride in me, Christ even says that as I eat of the Father, so you shall eat of me and live by eating of my flesh and of my blood, because it is in the atoning sacrifice of the broken body and outpoured blood of God in his love outpoured for you that there is this secret of the fear of God, of reciprocating the very being of God and His mercy and His grace. This is the secret. And when King David is talking here in Samuel about ruling in the fear of God, this is the secret of ruling and allowing God to rule through us because as those that are abiding in God, we do not rule independently of God. It is him that is ruling through us. The secret to allowing him to rule through us is to be in this place where we know this love, this perfect love that casts out all fear. What is fear? Fear is a consciousness of loss of self. What undoes that tendency to grasp onto the fallen self? that is deceived to find fulfillment in the temporal things of this life. That consciousness of loss that is related to the fallen, grasping self, that is not like that which moves out of true love, so that it empties itself out to be enlarged in a greater love to God. the answer to having such a relationship with God is in the fear of God that is what gives us the revelation of that love that 1 John talks about that says perfect love casts out all fear because fear has torment and the reason fear causes uptightness or anxiety is because of the consciousness of loss. Which is the root of what fear is. That's the consciousness of loss. In, related, in relation. To the old self. That is always grasping. To try to fulfill, fill the void. That is within. That can only be filled by God. Even that is within us. As believers still. Although it is dying. It is falling off. The more we learn the secret. Of yielding to who God is, and worshiping out of a circumcised heart by that sharp two-edged sword of the holiness of God, which is the integrity of his love, and of the mercy of His God, of God which is who God is in his very being, which is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. It is his being of perfect love and holiness and in mercy and grace. That means that we don't fear what people can do to us. We don't fear a bride. There is fearlessness when we come to the place where we walk a life of holiness that is not making choices by the tendencies of presumption that are related to the tendencies of fulfillment in the self. That is still Trying to fill A void That is only a temporal gratification Rather than the love that always chooses The highest lasting good Now in this passage in 2 Samuel I don't think I'm going to end up preaching any other chapter Because of the time I'm taking on this But we go on in this passage And we notice here that the wicked are so wicked that one cannot even talk or negotiate with them because they are violent so that one has to be fully armed to even come near them now that is exactly what we see beginning to happen in the world right now Christ said that as time goes on and 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 as it comes to, to the end of the ages the wheat and the terrors will grow together but it will become more and more evident who the wheat are and the tares are, and now we are seeing the manifestation of wickedness that doesn't even have any rationality to it, where people are just hating and tagging people with names and yet they have no rationale behind their hate. There is a manifestation of such hate in these people and wickedness that literally you cannot reason with them. And they're being indoctrinated with the doctrine of demons by professors in many of the universities throughout the world and United States with the godless humanistic teaching of evolution, which is a great deceptive lie, and many other things. And I have some great, a great book coming out that involves a tremendous exposure of evolution and its deception as well. And thoughts that have never been brought out against it. I don't, I've never seen it except through what I've been sharing. But anyhow, This is something that we are seeing right now happening. Now, in the context of this passage, we notice that the men that were around King David were men that really walked in the authority of God. Because they did those things that were totally beyond the realm of the possible. And the reason they could do this is because they knew such a fear of God that conquered the fear of, the, of self, that conquered fear which has torment and anxiety. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion and in a sense these people, even before the time when they could be baptized with the Holy Ghost, because their soul could not be cleansed in their spirit until after Christ died on the cross. Then there could be what's called the imbuing, which means to saturate, to fully fill, saturate. There could be the full saturation of the soul and the Spirit. But here, in this time, they still experienced the Holy Spirit come on them very powerfully. So it was kind of like a baptism, although there wasn't the actual imbuement, there was only the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Now, the Word of God says that he gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey him in Acts 5.32. That's referring to being filled with the boldness of the Holy Ghost, which is one of the biggest signs of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whenever they were filled with the Spirit, they spake the word of God with boldness, because there's no fear when you're filled with the Spirit of God and His authority, because you experience His authority in you, and you know that it doesn't matter what happens to you, that God (laughs) has it all in control. Now it's interesting that before there was these men that had such mighty deeds done. There's the account of when Israel was very fearful under the reign of King Saul of the Philistines, and they were hiding in the caves. and And, and what happened? Jonathan comes out. Maybe they thought they had nothing to lose because, you know, one way or another, they're going to have their wife and family killed, or taken captive, probably killed. Let's go and face them. And they knew God. And so Jonathan goes up with his armor bearer and he climbs up the cliff. And they come and expose themselves to a whole troop of Philistines. And they are determined to give it their best. And they say, perhaps God will be with us. They were willing to have an unconditional faith in God that perhaps if God didn't deliver them, it didn't matter. They still would trust in God. Their faith is unconditional. They were laying their life on the line. They were willing to face death. And in the genuine fear of God, the fear of death is swallowed up. When you face an enemy that's about to destroy you, and the issue is whether you will compromise with the fear, and their intimidation, or you will be in conformity to God. Your choice is going to be conformity to what pleases God. And so you lay your life on the line. When soldiers go into battle, they need to reconcile that they are laying their life on the line. They need to accept that they can die and be at peace about that. Now you can't be at peace about that unless you have a strong identity where God is your governing, is the governing source of your life, which is only possible in a relationship with Elohim through atoning perfect sacrifice of Elohim and Jesus Christ. That is only what can bring an identity where there's complete trust without fear. And so these men, they come, like Jonathan, against the troops, and God fills them with his supernatural power, and they are able to do what is totally supernatural beyond the possible, and totally destroy a whole troop of Philistines, which is two people, and in this case, with Idino, he came with his spear against eight hundred and slew them at one time. These were people that knew and what it was to walk in the authority of God. Daniel also talks about an authority that God's people will know in the last days. It says in Daniel, I don't know the exact verse; it's probably somewhere around Daniel chapter. Ten or eleven, it says, "They that do their God, they that know their God, shall be strong and do exploits." It wouldn't hurt for me, since I can quickly turn to various passages with, you know, the electronics of being on a computer. Uh, it wouldn't hurt for me to just turn to Daniel quickly and and look at that passage, try to find it. I believe it would be, be around ten or eleven. I don't find it, that's fine. I should probably do it by search box, but anyhow, here we are. I'm just going to go here. And it says somewhere in Daniel. Maybe it's, I won't bother, well, I'll try putting in the word exploits. If I get it right. (laughs) Exploits. Um... Sorry, I'm not going to bother with that then. It didn't uh, go where I wanted it to. I um, probably typed it into the wrong spot. So I'm not too familiar with using this particular software. I'm going to just uh, uh, go to... uh, Try it here. I don't think so either. No. We'll try it. and see if we get it, no okay, let's just go back to where we were then in Daniel and it says there in Daniel that many would come in the last days as the Antichrist is reigning in terror and they would instruct many and they would have great understanding and insight And then it says, and they that know their God shall do exploits. Just like these great men of God did here. And we are living in a time when it is obvious that wickedness is raising its ugly head. And God is wanting us to enter in. To knowing such a relationship with him that we can do exploits before the wicked. That would seek to destroy us. By fearlessly proclaiming the gospel to them. The good news of how they can be reconciled to God Or whatever else God calls us to do Now the other part of this passage That is very significant And walking in the authority of God Going back to the passage that we were at Which is in Samuel Hopefully I'm getting back to Samuel Here we are is in verses 14 to 17. And I want to just read that again. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord and he said be it far from me O Lord that I should do this is not this the blood of the man that went in jeopardy of their lives therefore he would not drink it those that walk in this authority do not allow people to sacrificially give of their life to honor us Because of God's evident delivering power in us. In other words, people, when they see God's delivering power in us, as they did in King David, they want to, it's natural, to want to honor such people. And it's not wrong to show reverence and respect and love to them, obviously. Rather, those such as King David would not allow that. They would not allow themselves to receive honor. They always put, directed the honor back to God. Rather, they take what they would give to us and sacrifice it to God, even at the cost of it hurting them and possibly losing their allegiance. That's the true fear of God. The genuine fear of God does not fear the rejection of man nor does it seek any glory or acceptance by men. It desires the secret place. It desires to be hidden because it knows that when men do not look up to them, but rather to God, they can be in the place of true abiding, reciprocative fellowship with God and love that is overflowing. And there's nothing more wonderful than being in that abiding presence of the love of God. And coming into such a relationship with God that we are in conformity to the being of God in such a state of godliness that we hate what God hates with the intensity that God hates it and love what God loves with the intensity that God's love loves it. Yes, the love of God hates what is contrary to love. The love of God loves what is in conformity to love and shows mercy to those that repent and receive the atoning outpoured love of God on the cross in his shed blood and body. Now there are many passages that I received and I just want to touch on another one that is related in some measure to the one that I've just read and that is in Isaiah chapter 33 which is talking about the last days which I received on February the 1st. And so I will go to Isaiah chapter 33 now and turn to that passage. And I want to read some of that passage as well. Isaiah 33. Going to Isaiah 33. There we are. And we read in Isaiah 33. Woe to thee that spoilest, and thou wast not spoiled. Now I will tell you, this is speaking about the Antichrist in the last days. It's very clear that that's what it is. And I want you to see the scene in Isaiah 33 of the last days. Woe to thee that spoilest. When it's addressing thee here, it's addressing the Antichrist. And thou wast not spoiled. And dealest treacherously, and they dealt not treacherously with thee. When thou shalt cease to spoil, thou shalt be spoiled. And when thou shalt make an end to deal treacherously, they shall deal treacherously with thee. Now we also read in the book of Daniel about the Antichrist that when he ceases to spoil, then he will be brought to his end. O Lord, be gracious unto us, we have waited for thee. Be thou their arm every morning. Our salvation also in the time of trouble. At the noise of the tumult, the people fled. At the lifting up of thyself, the nations were scattered. Speaking of the last days. And your spoil shall be gathered like the gathering of the caterpillar. As the running to and fro of locusts shall he run upon them. The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times and strength of salvation, The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Remember? I wasn't sure where the passage is. Here it is. Didn't even realize it. The one I was talking about earlier is that the secret to even the unity of the one true God in the three dimensions of personage and government is here seen. The Messiah treasures more than anything the fear of God which is the reciprocation of the heart towards the beauty of God's holiness and the greatness of his creativity manifested in grace, in creation that can have destiny and purpose and can never be enlarged. If God was anything less than ruling beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space in three personages, if he was anything less than ultimately holy, and ultimately filled with mercy by being the very atoning sacrifice, he would be less than ultimate as God, and therefore would not be God. But here we see, again, that the Messiah acknowledges and delights in the fear of God as his treasure, because the context is... Plainly talking in verse 5, it says, The Lord is exalted, for he dwelleth on high. That's the context. He hath filled Zion with judgment and righteousness. We go on reading, Behold, their valiant ones shall cry without. The The ambassadors of peace shall weep bitterly. The highways lie waste. The wayfaring man seetheth. He hath broken the covenant. He hath despised the cities. He regardeth no man. The earth mourneth and languisheth. Lebanon is ashamed and hewn down. Sharon is like a wilderness. Bashan and Carmel shake off their fruits. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. This is what will happen to the wicked in the last day. As God rises up and shakes the nations with that mighty earthquake that's described in the book of Revelation, which is the seventh seal and final judgment of God. As he shakes the nations, those that are wicked, even the air they breathe, because it will become filled with the presence of God, will devour them. And the people shall be as the burning of lime, as the thorns cut up, shall they be burned in the fire. That is the fire of God's presence of love that will not tolerate that which has become conformed in rebellion against the love of God in the wicked. Hear ye that are far off what I have done, And ye that are near acknowledge my might, the sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, he that shaketh his hands from the holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, He shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him. His water shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king and his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Wow. What a wonderful promise this is. What a wonderful promise. I noticed I've written quite a paragraph on Isaiah 33 and I might want to read that too but what we see here I just want to comment on this section there will be assemblies around the world at that time when the Antichrist rules the world there will be of course probably in hiding but when this mighty earthquake takes place around the world and the nations are reduced and the cities reduced to rubble It says in Isaiah 24 that they will lift up their voices and worship the Lord. And they will be filled with praise in all parts of the earth. Praise will spring forth unto God. And at the same time, his presence will start to fill the whole face of the earth. And it will cause the wicked to be devoured by the presence of God as air entering into their lungs. It will devour them as thorns. They will be destroyed. But those that are hypocrites in the assemblies, the ones that are not truly living a love relationship with God, they will be discovered. And they will not be able to dwell within the assembly. It says, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? They will not be able to dwell. They will also be brought to judgment and destruction at that time. And the Lord will reign over the whole earth. And so in summation, I just want to read what I made notes on to summarize this chapter which I just shared on. The Antichrist and his armies will be spoiled when they cease to spoil and make an end to dealing treacherously. The Lord will be gracious to them the righteous, in this time of trouble that wait upon him. Then the Lord will lift himself up and the nations will be scattered and the spoil gathered. The Lord at that will at that time fill the gathering of his people in assemblies around him with judgment and righteousness. The consuming fire of God's presence will be in these gatherings around Jesus Christ so that those that are hiding in their sin and are hypocrites will be exposed and will not be able to dwell in the assembly without being consumed like the wicked. The breath of the wicked will become as fire that will devour them, and they will burn as thorns are cut up and burn. Those that will dwell in the gatherings of their local assembly around Christ will be those that walk in righteousness and speak uprightly, and who hate oppressive gain, and will hate and have nothing to do with bribes. They are those that do not like to hear about blood and violence and shut their eyes from seeing evil. That's something we really need to note today. There is so much violence in movies in video games, on television. Do we love those things or do we hate them and run from them? It is those that do not love those things that shut their eyes from seeing those things that will be received of God. And enter into the fullness of their inheritance. These shall dwell in the high places. In the Holy Spirit with the Lord. And shall have abundant defense and supply. They shall see the Lord in his beauty. And into the future of the coming new Jerusalem. That comes down from heaven. They will be given revelations at that time. When the millennial reign begins and continues. Where they will see into the future. By the revelation of the Spirit of God. So brothers and sisters. Wake up. Break up your hologram. Enter into that deep, loving relationship with God out of the fear of God. And know that you can be strong to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness in the love of God. That you can be bold and do exploits. Like Jonathan, whether the Lord takes your life or he allows you to continue and to be bold and do exploits, but you will come before those overwhelming odds because you will confront those that would threaten your life with the truth at any cost because you know that it's worth it all because you know that love relationship with God that swallows up all fear that is birthed out of the fear of God thank you for listening to this message and may God bless you I pray that you would help support me on my website at loverealized.com I am seeking with all diligence to be brought to the place where I can be freed up to fully focus on the planting of churches that will conquer their communities, their cities, and their nation for God. By becoming the corporate bride of Christ, they will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from fully inhabiting the body in the glory of his presence in local assemblies around the world. Thank you and I look forward to sharing again.